Welcome to the Newman Church Podcast. Wherever you are in the world, we are so glad you've joined us. Our prayer is that this message will reveal more of who our Heavenly Father is as we grow deeper in intimacy with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Come on, somebody, let's get... No, I'm just joking. That is exactly not how I would be delivering the word today. But some of you got excited. Some of you are like, yes, yes, we finally get the American Black Gospel Church. Can I get a, hey, oh, shut up. Well, sorry to disappoint you in advance. That's not how I talk normally throughout the week. So that will not be how I preach. Um, but no, I want to say to you, uh, hello, hello, thank you. If you do not know who I am, yes, uh, my name is Joshua Long, and I have the privilege of being married to the beautiful Kelly Long. And we have two, Kelly was the one that was leading worship, and we have two beautiful kids, Sophie and JD. And um, yeah, we're just honored to be a part of NUMA, part of this family, uh, being able to serve the kingdom of heaven. Um, but also being able to serve under the leadership of Pastor Glenn and Lynn Blakeney. They are truly amazing. Come on, can we honor them just one? Um, And with that being being said, and and that's the thing about it, it's it's honoring uh, from a place of love and relationship and not from a duty or a task, but it's a relational thing. I honor all of you because we have a relationship not only with God, but that should mean with each other as well because we are his brothers and we are his sisters. So before I even go further, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for today. Father, I pray that you would speak through me that I am just a vessel for your Holy Spirit to operate through so nothing of myself will be seen, heard, or felt, but only your power, Jesus. And I pray that today that your presence will saturate this place like never before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about culture. And the title of my sermon would actually be called Culture Struggle. Because the reality is, it's a struggle every single day when it comes to culture. Let's just define culture. The dictionary says that the culture is defined the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarding collectively. The ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. The way of life, especially the general customs and beliefs of a particular group of people at a particular time. Now, it's funny that I hinted and joked earlier about, you know, preaching like this. Because what we see on TV and there is a stigma that every Pentecostal, whether black, white, green, or yellow, preaches that way. Because when you preach like this, the fire of God comes down like, no. And I'm not saying that it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying that there is a mindset that is placed upon individuals based upon where they live, the environment that they grew up in, and that culture should be a subculture to the primary culture 
which is kingdom of heaven culture. But the reality is, culture is a learned behavior. Culture is a learned behavior simply because we were born in an environment that we could not control. And we were birth, the people that were around us influenced how we think. So let's just take this to a personal uh, uh, level for myself. I grew up in a family, very large family, family of eight kids, four boys, four girls, um, parents, uh, grew up in a very large family. My mom was one of 18. My father is one of 10. And just know that the moment that that reality came to me, I said to myself, to and through. So I made sure that when I found a wife, that she agreed in the spirit as well as in the physical, natural, that we were only going to have two kids and be done. And be done. But there is a reality with the way that I grew up. I grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi. A lot of people don't know what Tupelo is or where Tupelo even has. Elvis Presley is probably the biggest thing that we have that came out of Tupelo, Mississippi. But the culture of Tupelo, Mississippi is a very small town mentality. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's probably related to someone because the cousin probably dated another cousin. And then, you know, I, I know I'm being over-exaggerating, but that's just how small the town is. But growing up in that culture, I had to make a decision personally when I get married, am I going to raise my kids in the same mindset, same learned behavior, or will I take them down a different pathway according to the revelation from the word of God? You got to understand, when Kelly and I got married, six months into marriage, God chuckled, I believe, in heaven. He said, <laughs> I'm going to move you to another country. You go on Australia, might. So literally, we said, I do. Sold everything that we had, gave away what we couldn't sell, packed six duffel bags and our two dogs, drove from Atlanta, Georgia to Los Angeles, California, put our dogs on a plane. They flew off into wherever the quarantine place had them. We spent two days in California eating the best Mexican food possible, and then we jumped on a plane ourselves and came here. But the reality was, during this trip of 31 hours, we were having conversations saying, what will be our family culture? What will we set in stone as a foundation for this long family name? Not from what I was taught, learned, and not saying that everything I was taught and learned from my parents was bad. But there were just things that I said, oh, that was good, so I'll take a bit of that. Oh, that wasn't the best thing for, okay, so we'll leave that there. But then I filtered everything through the word of God. So in the beginning, there was a plan that God had. And the culture that he wanted to set in place was a family relational culture. You don't believe me? I'm glad that you're doubting because I have the scripture to back it up. 
Genesis 3, verse 1 through 6 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. Now, before the serpent came, you have to understand that Adam and Eve had relation with God on a daily, hourly, every minute, every second. It was a family. Hey, let's hang out. I'm, 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 there's a part of me. That's a little bit jealous. I know it's a sin to be jealous. Jealousy is a sickness. You don't want to be jealous. But there's just a part of me that's like, man, if I could have just been in Adam's shoes to hang out with God in the manifest glory presence on a daily, where I can hang out with the lions and, and all of the animals that I normally would say would kill me now, but we're just hanging out. We're taking selfies and doing everything, right? Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. But then to listen to the serpent to come in and deceive and weave a new culture in the garden that was not there. You have to understand, this culture was not there. The worldly culture, which is what we struggle against, was not present until Adam and Eve made a decision to eat from the tree that was outside of the plan of God. And the moment they did that, things flipped upside down. Now, I have a six-year-old and I have a three-year-old. And I'm here to say, because of what Adam and Eve did, I'm not saying I was a bad kid. I'm just talking about my kids. We don't, talk, we don't want to talk about me. But there are things that I recognize because of the mistake that was made back then, I have to parent through changes. Prime example. The first word that I told my kids was not yes. It was actually no. It was me telling Sophie, Sophie, don't do that, sweetie. No, no, no. Sweetie, don't. No, no, no. Don't do that. That's bad for you. That's dangerous. No, no, no. Don't do that. Hey, hey, JD. Don't. <laughs> Don't do that, please, son, son, Joshua Daniel Long, please don't do that. And here's the beautiful thing about it. We as loving parents, we say that in love and then our kids do this what? They turn and they look with a slight smirk and then they do it anyway. They do it anyway. Now, how many of us as adults are guilty of that same exact thing because our default tendency 
is to the worldly culture. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, when the knowledge of good and evil was introduced to the world, it now makes us subject to, default to that lifestyle. Because now, when Adam and Eve did that, they actually made a bridge or a separation between the relationship that God originally planned. And now we had to go through a lineage to see what Jesus was going to do 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross and rose again. And the thing about it is with our default tendency to go into a worldly culture, we as believers now have to be the example of Christ knowing that this is a constant battle. I'll give you an example. There's a guy named Moses. And I love that the worship team sang the song, Show Me Your Face. Moses stood on a mountain waiting for you to pass by. God put his hand over his face. This is, and, 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 and <laughs> just think about that. In the Garden of Eden, God did not have to cover the eyes of Adam and Eve. He did not have to cover his glory from them. But because of what they did, now you and I, people like Moses, God has to go, you know what? Because of decisions that were made back then, you can't actually handle the fullness of my glory. So I can only give it to you bit by bit, bit by bit. And here's the thing that Moses struggled with. Moses, Hebrew descendant of Joseph, known as the Israelites. They resided in Egypt. Pharaoh of the time grew concerned that the Israelites might rise to power, so he enslaved them. So I would encourage you all, Bible study, figure out who the Israelites were, timeline and all that good stuff. It's a great, 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 great family tree. It's awesome. Moses' early life, Moses was born during this period of oppression found by Pharaoh's daughter, He was raised in the Egyptian court. However, after killing the Egyptian taskmaster, Moses fled to Midian. In Midian, God revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush. God called Moses to, you know, to a momentous task to free the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. Now, here's the culture that Moses went through. The struggle was, I'm the son of a Hebrew slave. Oppression is happening. Here's how culture can even be found in DNA. Because Moses as a child did not experience oppression. But his mother experienced the oppression. Which is why when he was born, his mother put him in the basket in the vicinity of the daughter, put him in the water. And then once Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter... He was actually raised in royalty. So his life experience was at a level of royalty, not oppression. But when he was faced with certain situations, the default mindset and the default culture that he went to was from a commoner. Let's think about it. If you are royal... 
you don't get your hands dirty. You actually have people to say, I need you to go do that. You see that? They're not treating him right. Let's bring him to the courts. Let's put him to trial and do all that. But Moses went to a default mindset of a commoner. I'm going to put my hands on him, and I'm not talking about for prayer. And he killed him. And once he made that decision, he then what? Ran and hid. And I love God's redemptive grace to say, hey, Moses, I have a plan for you. And although you have been thinking from a commoner, I have a kingdom mindset that I want you to walk in. And I have an authority that I want you to walk in because we need to understand when we become sons and daughters of Christ by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we immediately have authority. And he wants us to operate and live from that place. But here's the culture struggle that Moses had. God presents it to him. Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Ah, oh, you know what, God? <laughs> ah, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Yeah, you know what, God? Uh, yeah. My speech is, is, is actually, not, I'm not educated. Oh, to, can you help a brother out? Like, I'm just following. But here's what's funny about that. Moses grew up in the royal priesthood. Moses had royal education. Moses knew every tactical method of communication to Pharaoh because all he knew was the lifestyle of royalty. But instead of him defaulting to that mentality, he defaulted to, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. My mind and my identity is, is, is in this common thing. So, God, can you help me? Help me, help me, help me, help me. And because of God's grace, yes, he helped them and sent Aaron with them. And they went through this whole journey. But I just want you to know, God gave Moses an opportunity to return to royalty. But it wasn't in the royalty of Pharaoh. It was in the royalty of heaven. That's where God was trying to reveal to Moses, hey, brother, when you were in Pharaoh's house, you didn't see burning bushes that didn't get consumed by fire. And it was amazing to me when I'm reading these stories of actual things that happened that God wanted to show Pharaoh who was more powerful, which culture would be the strongest culture. So much so that even the acts that Moses had to do when he finally went back to Pharaoh was because, hey, boom, turn the water into, that's blood, that's locusts, that's those flies, sickness, death, all of these things. Pharaoh couldn't match it because Pharaoh himself was trying to be God when God was like, nah, sorry, buddy. The last person that did that, he got cast out of heaven and um, his destination is hell and I'm just saying you're barking up the wrong tree because there's only one God and I need us to understand that we come from a family of royalty we come from a family of royalty 
So when we are faced with situations and tasks that God is actually asking us to do, it's not because you're not good enough. It's actually because he's good enough to work through you if you would submit and say, God, have your way. It's the ability to know that the moment that we tap into the kingdom culture mindset, there is no limit. But if you lack kingdom culture, it limits your experience of kingdom activity. If you lack kingdom culture, that's heavenly mindset way of thinking, it actually limits your experience to see kingdom activity. How so? I'm glad you asked. I have scripture to back it up. <laughs> the Bible talks about when Jesus went back to his hometown. In Mark 6, verses 1 through 6, it says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard uh, him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Pause. They recognized that there were some heavenly things going on. In that moment, they were like, oh, this is not a natural man. This is God-inspired things that's going on here. But let me tell you how quickly the struggle happened. Because the very next word was, uh, is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and, and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. Because of their culture struggle, being able to see heaven in active motion, but then reverting back to the culture of family of origin. You're a common man, aren't you? Aren't you a carpenter? We know your family. They're still, who are you to do these things? It limited the kingdom activity to a few miracles. Let's just bring this closer to home. How many of our people are in here, right? God is in the place. There's 90% of us that have a disease that's incurable by man. But then the other 10% have a disease that's like a common cold. Take a Mentos, sleep it off. And you're good. And Jesus comes in and says, oh, because 
you guys don't actually believe who I am and what I can do, I'm only going to heal the 10% that have the common sickness. So be healed. And then the 90% that have the sickness that is incurable by man or incurable by any physician that can only be cured by God have to live the rest of their long life or short life with that. But if they all believe that Jesus was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all they can think or imagine, 100% would have been healed. 100% would have been set free. And that's what I'm trying to explain to us today. We have to have a mentality that says, God, I know that you can do above all I can ever ask, think, or imagine. There is no sickness. There is no burden. There is no weight that you cannot fix. So my mentality, my mindset, and my culture is kingdom culture, which says, God, you do it because I can't. And here's the thing, when you think that way, when you have faith that way, God says, oh, <laughs> I, can, I can work with that. I can work with that. Even the woman that was like saying, hey, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus says, it's not good for us to even dwell with your kind. And she's like, even the dogs can get the crumbs. So even if I'm a dog... Can I get a crumb or two? Because in the crumb, it's going to satisfy the need and desire that I have. But I know that you're the only one that can do it. That was a kingdom mindset that this woman had to recognize who God was in man form. Jesus, you can do it, and I refuse to let my family of origin, I refuse to let the way that I've been taught that my culture should be, my subculture be the primary culture, because I need you to step in right now. And Jesus goes, oh, I like your faith. Be it unto you. Your daughter is healed. So how many are willing to take a crumb today? Oh, okay, I see some hands. I'll take a crumb. I'll take a sandwich. But if I can get healed from a crumb, guess what? I'm going to take that crumb. Does anyone need a breakthrough? This is the thing that we're trying to say here. It's actually not difficult. I know that it's titled culture struggle, but it's actually not a struggle. It's just a choice that we make consciously when we wake up, how will I filter what I'm faced with today? How will I filter when my family says or does something that really gets on my nerves? Because guess who can really get on your nerves? The ones that you love the most. Family and friends. And guess what? The reality is, because they get on that side of our world, that side of our heart, that really makes us prickly and just, we tend to hold grudges. We tend to have um, a seed of unforgiveness. And here's what's dangerous about unforgiveness. 
Unforgiveness blocks your ability to fully operate in kingdom culture. What? Unforgiveness, if you are holding unforgiveness towards someone, it actually blocks your ability to operate in kingdom, the fullness of kingdom culture. How so? Where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Luke 15, verse 17 through 32. This is the story about the slave who sinned against his master. And the beautiful thing about the master was that he forgave that slave's debt. Forgave it all, wiped it away, wiped it clean. But immediately after he got his clean slate, he went back and his slave owed him something. And he was like, how dare you? Matter of fact, chain him down, hold him down, beat him up, do it. You owe me money. But when word got back to the master <laughs> that this man, that he just cleared his debt, oh. This is what the scripture says. I, I, I love it. In verse 27, it says, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Um, this, this is, I jumped out of place. My bad. So um, this story is Matthew 18, 32, 35. It says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Now, let's just pause on the word jailers. In other translation, it actually says tormentors. Tormentors. Until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, why did I point out jailers also being tormentors? Because when you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, you're actually opening the door for tormentors, which are demons, to torment you. They're not tormenting the person that you're holding in unforgiveness. Because guess what? They're sleeping on duck-feathered pillows, just having the best dreams ever. But you're sitting over here pacing back and forth. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he said, oh, the next time I see him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Oh, I just, ooh, we went And then this goes wrong, and that goes wrong. And then you're asking yourself, why, why is everyone else getting blessed? And why is, it, why is that all this happening to me? Why, why, why? But the moment that we forgive that individual, all of a sudden our pillow turns into duck feathers. And that torment is lessened to just a regular enemy temptation. See, the thing is, we as believers think that when you become saved, it becomes easy.
all depends on how much you go to the gym and work out. And when I say go to the gym and work out, I mean reading the word, staying in God's presence. Because when you're reading the word and staying in God's presence, when you're faced with the regular everyday temptation, you go, <laughs> sorry, Satan. That's the same thing that you tried to present to me last week. It's just wrapped in a red box instead of a blue box. Uh, I have all authority over you and your minions. Get thee behind me in Jesus' name. But when you harbor on forgiveness, you actually go, let me open the door. <laughs> hey, Tormentos, come on in. Let me crack a window. Hey, Tormentos, come on in. And now it's not as easy for you to say, hey, get back. Because you're actually fighting the culture of the world and the fact that you're holding on to unforgiveness. And I love the story of the prodigal son, which is actually Luke 15, 17 through 32, where the father gave the goods to his boys. And one son ran away and did his thing and loved it and was just like, oh, man, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And he got to a point to where the sliced bread was gone. And he's hanging out with pigs, dirty, filthy. But he came to himself and said, the slaves, the servants, actually get better treatment than this. Let me go back to my father and just say, hey, I'm sorry, dad. And you know what? I'm willing to be a servant. I'm willing to be a slave in your house. Now, here's what we got to understand about forgiveness. And I love it as I'm getting ready to come to an end. That father saw his son from a distance. He did not wait for the son to come to him. He ran to the son in all of his filth, all of his dirt, kissed him, hugged him, embraced him, then said, hey, I need you to come. Give, give me the ring. Give me the robe. My son has returned. All is forgiven, son. You are not a slave. You are not a servant. You are my son. And I'm here to tell you that there is nothing that you have done that will take you far enough to where when you run back to the father, he's not running back to you. And he will meet you with a hug, embrace, and a kiss to say, hey, son, hey, daughter, don't worry. You have been forgiven. That is what Jesus is here for. That's what his power can do. And I'm here to encourage you that no matter the struggle of the culture that you have lived in, no matter how many times you wavered and leaned on the worldly culture versus how often you lean into the heavenly culture, let me tell you, Jesus still loves you. And he still wants to use you. How so? I'm glad you asked. There's a Bible reference for it. Peter, walk with Jesus for three years, side by side. Did amazing works operating in heavenly culture. And towards the end of Jesus' life, he asked the question, who do man say that I am? And they said, oh, you know, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're this guy. Some say you're that guy. 
Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter then says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And Jesus said, only God himself, the Holy Spirit, can reveal that to you. Peter tapped into heavenly culture, a heavenly mindset. And you got to understand, when I say culture, I'm saying a way of thinking. Peter tapped into a heavenly way of thinking to get that revelation. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. On that truth that you just got, on that revelation that you just got, I will build my church and the hell cannot and will not prevail. But then Jesus gave the next steps of what his life was going to be. Hey, you know what, fellas? It's been a great run. But what's happening next is I'm going to have to go on a cross and die and, you know, rise again with all power. But, you know, the fact that there will be an arresting and there will be the torture and there will be all this. And then Peter goes, oh, no, Lord Jesus, no, uh not my God, not my Lord. That is not happening to you. And immediately and swiftly, Jesus said, I rebuke you. Called him the devil. Now, how is it that in a split second, Peter's mindset was heavenly? And then he was faced with a situation, circumstance that he wanted to control and said, oh, no, Jesus, that's not happening to you. And Jesus was like, hold on. You, you're not the boss of this. You, you've now shifted back to a worldly mindset. So I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And then let's go further. Peter then goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, and then Jesus tells him that he's going to deny him. And Peter denies him three times and starts cursing and, and all, doing all this other crazy stuff. Jesus crucified, rises again, appears to the disciples. They go to the upper room. Peter is there. Holy Spirit falls on Peter. Peter walks out of the upper room, preaches the gospel from a heavenly mindset. 3,000 people come to Christ, join the church immediately. Peter goes on to continue a life of heavenly mindset, heavenly culture, teaching the gospel. And I'm here to tell you the same way that Peter wavered from worldly mindset, heavenly mindset, worldly culture, kingdom culture, God never erased his promise from Peter. He never took away the calling that Peter and the purpose that Peter had. And I'm here today to let you know that we all struggle. But when we make the decision to filter everything through a kingdom culture, and we make that our primary culture, that's when the kingdom activity will increase in your life. So, Father, I thank you right now that we are taking a posture of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says, Therefore, my brothers, 
by the mercy of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you might, may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, Father, we understand that we have a culture from origin of birth. We understand that we have uh, a, a culture that is sub-level to you. But, Father, forgive us for the times that we allow the subculture to be our filter instead of the heavenly culture. And so right now, I, I actually want to pray with individuals that feel like the struggle is too strong. When you're faced with situations and circumstances of what's happening in the world, whether if it's in the family, whether if it's in the church, it's almost like there is a default for us to go to the worldly mindset, a place of punishment, a place of unforgiveness. Or if you're holding unforgiveness and you've been tormented, but you want to be free today, I'm just going to open the altars. And if that's you, if you fall under any of those categories of where the struggle of culture is too strong or you're holding unforgiveness or there's just certain circumstances that you just can't let go. We want to pray with you today as the worship team begins to lead us in worship. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And we realize that not everyone has had the opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel. And for this reason, in all of our services and platforms, we want to extend to you the opportunity to follow Jesus. The Bible teaches us that we have been created for a relationship with God. However, sin, which is essentially disobedience, independence and disbelief, or us simply missing the mark, entered the world and separated us from God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. And a debt was owed, and the Bible tells us that he, Jesus, demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus, that whoever believes in him will be saved. All that is required of anyone is that they believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who came, lived, died, and rose again so that we could be forgiven, made right, and given the right to become children of God and to have life forevermore with Him. Today, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. To believe in Him is to simply to respond with faith in our hearts and confess with our mouths that He is Lord. And we do that through a simple prayer follow along with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I thank you that you love me and came to forgive me of my sin. I repent from my old way of life and I turn to follow you. I receive the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can live a life of following after you.
I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to connect with you and connect you to your next step and the local church in your area. You can contact us on our website at numa.church. Thanks for listening.